Hello everyone, welcome. So today I have here with me Emily Ross, which is a good friend of mine and I got the privilege to know her and spend a lot of time with her here in Australia, in Byron Bay at the moment, even though she lives in Melbourne as well, based in Melbourne and also in what it goes part of the time, right? And so, hi Emily. Hi. Um, so I, I know you, but I'm very interested also for you to tell me and the listeners a little bit about you and your work, because you're a very inspiring person to me. I am actually Aww. from the first moment I saw you, I remember I felt that there is something very special about you and something that was fascinating to me. And I said, this is an inspiring woman who I want to learn from about what what is it about you that makes you who you are, that you're so kind, so beautiful, and still you can maintain such a, you know, thriving, successful life in wow. the business world and in your friendship, in your spiritual life. That's something that not a lot of people can combine all of that together because I feel like nowadays in the world, it's a lot about, there's like the business side, the spiritual mm -hmm. side, especially, I don't want to generalize only with women, but uh, there is, it's also something I want to talk about more of how do you combine all of that? And that now I just would want to hear a little bit about what you are doing, what is your work is about, and if you want to share a little bit about yourself. I know it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, my name is Emily Ross. I run a business called Emily Ross Bespoke, which I've done for about 15 years. I used to be a business journalist, and I saw how the media was changing so much and um, that newspapers were going to be really challenged by everything going digital. So I started my own business and um, I still do writing and things like that. I work for some amazing people. A lot of my work is what I call secret squirrel work and I write speeches for people and I do strategies for them and help them get deals done and things like that. But my job is to stay in the background and let my clients be visible and positioned where they need to be. But um, another sort of strain of that is I guess I come from straight business journalism. Um, I have been a yogi for thir more than 30 years and my practice has deepened and that's how I'm lucky enough to have met you. But um, the work that I do is, it, you could technically call it management consulting, but it has evolved to being, um, for a lot of the people I work with them very closely. And um, a lot of deeper stuff comes out when you work closely with people. I'm sure lots of people listening to this know what that's like. You're meant to just be doing a job and all of a sudden the relationship becomes more or you become a confidant. And I think, and for myself and also for my husband who works in a similar area, we are confidants for people. We share, we take on people's secrets and we're trustworthy and that's a real honor. And that has come into a lot of the more unusual services that I've developed for my business. So as well as doing sort of building websites and doing deals, um, I also do coaching and that's what's led me into the values work that mm. I think we're going to talk a bit about today. Yeah, so I'm very, very interested in the values work where I also luckily had a chance to, you know, you did the values to me and that was something that I find so interesting and so creative to be able to, to actually maintain or 
pursued your values in the business world or even in corporate world that I'm sure that it must be more challenging. Can you share a little bit about how did you come to the value work and what it is exactly? Well, about 12 years ago, after my mum died, a really amazing friend of mine called Danny Vallant, who some people might know, she's a fantastic food writer and superstar. She said to me, she's seeing a coach. And I thought, God, you're the most together person I know, kids, business, everything. Why are you seeing a coach far out? And I thought, mm, I think if she's going, it really might be interesting. And I met um, a coach. She's arguably one of the best life coaches in Australia. Her name is Shannon Kennedy, who wrote The Life Plan. And she's a wonderful woman, very challenging um, to work with and very transformative in terms of personal accountability and how you manage your time and what is important to you. And if you haven't read The Life Plan, and she has a new book out at the moment called Plan B, I'd really recommend you get them, they're fantastic. Mm. But actually when you do that kind of coaching work, I'm a really big believer that you have to allow things to integrate and take time. I think if you're a person that every five minutes is going on a different course or reading a different book and you've got to do this and do that, nothing ever gets embedded. Mm. And Shanna's coaching was amazing for me and she became a really good friend and she became a client of mine. But the values thing came out because she's got a wonderful values, series of value, values exercises in the life plan. And you have to choose from about 20 values, you know, what's important to you, loyalty, wealth, family happiness, pleasure, you have to choose. But it's just an exercise and you do the exercise and you pick five values and that's it. And I started to see with people that I was working with this huge gap between what they said was important to them, but actually how they behaved. Mm. And there's a saying, you what you are what you do, not what you say you'll do. Mm. And if I find a client saying, oh, you know, I really love my family, they're amazing and they're spending the whole time travelling or not before COVID, mm. or they're staying out late, not coming home, they're telling themselves one thing to make themselves feel good, but they're doing something else. And I saw this in quite a few clients. Um, you know, I love, my, I love my business, I love my clients, and then you'd be hearing that they weren't responding to emails and weren't doing things on time. So they were starting to tell themselves a story about this sort of ideal person that they are, but they're not that person. They're, they're, they're not doing that, but they're mm. saying, oh, I love my family, but they're spending all weekend partying. Mm. <laughs> so but if you say, oh, I love my family, you feel better. So mm. there was a gap between their behavior and their values. So this process for me is an extension of Shannon's work where we take those core values, there's about 20, I've added a few more in there, and we have a look at which ones are resonating for you over an 18 months to two year period. And when you see them all together, when you see things like um, health, um, integrity, self-respect, loyalty, economic security, you start to put them all together and you realize, oh my God, it's so hard to choose what's important to me. Mm. And at different parts of your life, different things will be important. And no one can choose those values for you. And I've done this process hundreds of times now with lawyers and long-term unemployed, yogis, my Indian meditation teacher, um, human rights workers, people that run wine companies, like every, every sort of person. I've even done it with like really senior government people. Everyone has a different takeaway from those like 20, 25 values. And everyone, once we choose those values, which can be really hard, 
then we have to actually look at how you live them in your own life. And the process is, I love, I feel like I'm just facilitating, like when Eden does it, I'm watching Eden really going deep into her own insight and intuition and really having a discussion about what's important to her. And often those deep discussions that we have with counsellors or coaches and stuff are about one problem. Mm. Oh, you know, I can't get on with my mother or I'm really worried about work. But the process, the values process takes about three to four hours. It mm. allows you to look at your whole life, parts of your business, your pers- your inner life, your spiritual life, your marriage, your relationships and your friends. And you are having a conversation with yourself because you know yourself better than anyone else. Mm. And out of that, um, I often do that at the start of my work with people because we're able to identify work things we need to do or even, you know, simple things like for some people it'd be like, I need to change my will. I want to send my dad some flowers. Mm. Um, I need to make sure I get a surfboard for my son. Um, I have to make sure that I, that I do the taxes that I haven't done for three years. Mm. So I like to keep things very pragmatic and not too woo-woo. Mm. Of course, that woo-woo is in there. Yeah. But um, I find that the process of just taking that time, and you don't need to do it all the time, just once every couple of years, to really look at where you are and acknowledge how you are living your own truth, mm. but also in a very gentle and kind way, looking at, hey, what else do I need to be doing to, so that I can really live my values over the next 12 to 18 months? And I think the other cool thing about it, when you have your core values, I end up with about 15, so I've got quite a few more in combination. <laughs> when you're making decisions going forward, you'll know um, if one of your really important things is... Um, health then you know you can't just work all the time if if one of your priorities is economic security then there's other things about you know going out with your friends and stuff and picnics that you have to forget about for a while Mm. so you end up with this beautiful holistic picture of a person's inner life their personal life their professional life so it's i've I've loved 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 developing it and Mm. i love doing it it's it's very interesting like um, many things come up to me when you talk that i want to ask you about like first i would be very interested to know if there's a common ground with many people's even that you see the first time with the values um even let's say lawyers business world government and other you know spiritual workers or you know yoga teachers like myself or any you know, very common things that you see and every, and also I would imagine that when you do, when you're doing the values for the first time, even if it's someone that is, you know, long time already in the business world, is it, do you think that people do know themselves in the beginning or it takes time for them to actually, oh, do I know what is my real values? Because I think people mostly you know now it's starting to be a thing that actually we're pursuing our passion and we're Mm. going after something that you know it's our passion or it's something that we're thriving to to achieve but a lot of that I think before was I just want to survive and make money so so how is how do you see it like do you see people that they can actually first then they say this is what i'm about oh this is my value this is what i stand for or wait maybe i don't even know what's mm. my value you know there's all about knowing yourself and i from my point of view i see that people just 
you know, starting to get to know themselves. Of course, everybody's mm-hmm. different, but this is a phase that we're going now, you know, with humanity. And I think especially COVID time, you know, really causes a lot of people to pause and to reflect on mm-hmm. themselves. So, yeah, I'd just be interested to hear if you see that how can we, you know, if we people actually... Um, they have the starting point or they feel like they need to change something and can they do it? Um, yeah, and common ground, it's that a, makes that, sense. It's a fantastic question. I guess most of the people that I work with, they're not going on retreat. They're not meditating daily. They're not, That's what I thought. Yeah, they're not, so most, most people, it, I mean, it's, I think it's a little bit different environment, but most... Most people don't have a spiritual practice or they're not spending a quiet time every day just in silence and contemplating things. Yeah. So in, in general, most people are not holding any space to think about those kinds of things. Yeah. So the very fact of even if the only thing they get out of the values is spending three hours taking that time yeah inquiring Mm. and thinking about it that in itself for most people is transformative yeah and then that because often they're like wow like i'm i'm a deep person i think about things and i know what's important Mm. to me i just haven't made the space to do it and that's why i feel like i'm just facilitating a conversation between Mm. you and your higher self or just your intuition so most people are not doing that in their daily lives yeah, absolutely. And creating that space for people is really, really beautiful. Mm. But if I wanted to generalise a couple of things, most people have got issues with boundaries. Mm. The boundaries with in a relationship, with work, with spending or substances or whatever it is, most people have got a boundary that they feel like is being crossed and that will come up again and again. And that's I added that. That wasn't in the original values list, but setting boundaries mm. and, and holding them is very important. Um, for a lot of, and I will generalise here, a lot of women, uh-huh. issues around integrity and self-respect mm. um, come up and that we will explore that and look at what are the ways where you can build that and, mm. and, and get away from that. Um but I think, but I say the main one is, is boundaries and I think also um, one of the people that's really influenced my work um, is, a, you know, she's world famous, Byron Katie, who mm. has a series of questions and I, I often, um, in the reports I give to people, I'll have a couple of statements that they've kept making in the session and they have to go away and do the, the questions on them because a lot of people have got very self-limiting beliefs about themselves i'm bad Mm. with money or i'm not fit or i'm you know and often Mm. and the older you get the more ingrained they get yeah so deeply rooted yeah and i think probably a lot of women's relationships with money yeah having very low financial well-being and just not wanting to deal with that part of their life and even having a fear to to price Mm. or to ask for a certain amount of money i know that it's generally for women is much harder oh, and it's it's a constant that and we'll actually that someone i worked with last week we sort of went off on a tangent but because i do other business consulting i can't we can't help it it's very productive but actually looking at some different scenarios of if i charge 175 dollars for a session if i charge 140 and we looked at all these outcomes over the next 18 months of what that was going to look like and how her work would change 
So the process, the values process for me becomes very specific and very practical. Mm. But going back to the sort of negative statements, I worked with an amazing, um, very senior business person and their values brings up people's fears. Mm. Well, I always call it the fear versus freedom dilemma. And he had a real fear of his staff not liking him. Wow. And it goes back to being a child Mm. and wanting to be the good boy. Mm. But it's really, really starting to become a a problem. Mm. So, but the most beautiful thing when I sit beside people, and I also do it on Zoom, is allowing them time to actually voice that fear. Mm. And because I'm not a psychologist, I'm not trying to, but they're able to talk about it within the session and say, well, where's that coming up? And then they have a look at their values cards and go, oh, my God, like, it's coming up everywhere. everywhere. It's, and, and so they, they can see it and work it out during the, the process themselves. Um. And no one, can tell, no one can do that for you. And the fact that you identify yourself, I think even that is liberating. And I remember um, I was doing the, uh, uh, the head of a very big musical organisation, a big orchestra, and she said the week after she did the value session, she went to her chiropractor and they said, like, what's happened to your body? It's completely um, changed. Like, this stuff's come out. Wow. So, and, and often, like, just having someone to talk to him because I'm not a psychologist there to kind of attack them and what are you doing or whatever. Mm. Um, you can talk about it in, and it can go as far as you want it to go. And because we're looking at your whole life, if there's sadnesses there about, you know, I really feel like I'm too far, especially in COVID, people are feeling guilty because they're not near their families and stuff like that. Mm. We can really think about maybe what we'll just do is send some flowers and write a note. You, just so there are things that really are important and they all surface. Mm. It's, it's really amazing to watch. It's, it's um, I love, I know that from our work together that we keep saying like, uh, every time I see you after a while, you're like, oh, I just, I know you spend all day in other people's brain or their mind and we, we joke about I spend my time in other people's bodies. Yes. So so it's it's just brilliant to look at that. And you know, you're because you're a yogi for so many years and you're so deep in your practice, you can see how, you know, addressing, naming your emotion, actually creating that space and holding that space for yourself and others is liberating thing especially for you know not just your body but your mind and your entire well-being and i think it's just obviously a lot of what you do is uh addressing the relationship of any person you work with or your clients so it's all about relationships right your relationship with money your relationship with your your body your relationship nature. with nature your relationship with other relationship in your life whether it's health. your partner your friends health any of those so it's that's just something very very interesting and it's also about that the time consuming because you have to make time for that while you're and that is another thing that I'm interested about what you said you're doing and I know it you know from a closest that you're doing time management mm. because many times people will say I have no time but it's mm. it's not really true is how we manage this time that we actually you know we did have that 10 minutes a day to meditate or to sit quietly or to go for our nature walk that would change completely change mm. our day completely or the relationship with money, for example, and how you're relating to that. I, I would assume that it's also 
there is a lot of you know like there is shame let's say about sexuality there mm-hmm. is shame about talking about money as well um maybe not for people that are used to it so much but it's still more in confident mm-hmm. or it's still more in so i think again like there's coming a lot back of fear, there's a lot of fear there's a lot of shaming and fear um i'm just from my world it's of course i'm very i'm far for that from business world but i can say that you know, I see it a lot. It's like, oh, if I want to make money, there's a the part of me who's shameful or it's like I'm bad or I'm naughty. Spiritual, spiritual circles, and I've seen this and it's really come up in values as well with people, is that there's a, there's a peer group pressure mm. around any kind of materialism that's yeah. really frowned on so that if, if, if you have a, a car, nice, a okay car, a nice car, or you, your house is okay in some circles that's seen as selling out. Yeah, or it means that you're a, you're a bullshitter yeah, you're or you're a... Sh- yeah. And, that's, and that's, um, that's a really... It's a really interesting area when you, when you... But the best thing of all about this process is that it's not about what other people think when you're doing this. It's like, no, what's your relationship to money? What does economic security mean to me? And for mm. some people it might mean... Um, having a steady income and getting $800 a week and to someone else it can mean $450,000 a year. Yeah. So no one else can define that for you. Mm. But if you're afraid of talking about money or being, and also it can also be about accountability. Mm. When people are, have got, they call it a locus of control. They've got a low locus of control and they can't tell the difference between something they want and something they need. Mm. And they don't want to, become accountable for that and learn about that and grow it can be very hard because you go into that you know they Look. say you learn the lesson and the lesson goes away when you've learned when it. you learn yeah and again it comes back to me with about having that shame or fear even about acknowledging your own emotions like again huh. if you're coming back to the values many people or you know any of us would find it very hard to say um oh, i'm jealous at the moment or i'm feeling envy or i'm feeling angry mm-hmm. or so you know it's is exactly coming back to that accountability like we talked about it just the other day naming your emotion is liberating or it's, totally. it's free and that's and the other thing about the values is that one of the values on there is fame fame and in my experience a lot of people that i work with they want to be famous, mm. but very few of those people admit. will admit it. Yeah, I can imagine. Even though they're paying me to build their profile. Yeah. And but I love it when I work with someone who actually says, "I want to be famous." If yeah. That's what because if that's what they want, at least they're being honest about it. Or if they we've got a, a card on there instead of economic security, there's wealth. Mm. And if someone wants to be wealthy, own it. I'm not going to judge you. You can pick whatever you like, but I think. Some the dangerous thing that can happen, especially or oh, not just in spiritual circles, we have an ideal of ourselves, and if it's not, if something happens that isn't part of that ideal person, mm. um, you'll hear a phrase, "Oh, I, that doesn't sound like me," or "I, I don't, do that. I don't, I don't that, act like that." That would happen on. <laughs> it's fantastic. It happens on reality shows when someone's been <laughs> cheating on someone like that, and they get filmed afterwards, <clears> and they say, "Oh, I would never do something like that." Like, mm. I'd never do that. I'm so lovely. And then, of course, you see the footage of them cheating with the guy. <laughs> so it's that thing. But they do think, like, I'm this beautiful mum and I love my kids and I'm, you know, working uh, and I'm always home and cooking. 
And if they're out on the weekend partying, mm. the ideal person that they think they are will not be accountable for that. Mm. Whereas if you're really honest with yourself, you're all and say, that. you know, I'm working really hard and I sometimes really like to like let my hair down and cut loose. Mm. I think you're on a better path yeah. than pretending that you, you don't do something that you do all the time. You know, it's whether it's shopping or substances or whatever. Mm. And it's that the, the process, the values process should be an honest thing. And I know I'm not going to be, you know, giving away your secrets, but I just actually had a look at your values <laughs> report again. And it reminded me one of the most interesting about people that have got a spiritual practice. Um, it's pretty consistent that they have more of a sense of involvement but they also their their relationship to their spirituality is really beautifully um articulated and that importance um but i think it's your your values was beautiful because i think it reflects your work that how hard you're working with your private clients with your retreats your workshops and things like that but also your your sense of accomplishment, mm. but also um, understanding your, your Instagram followers and all those things, it's fine to want acknowledgement and status mm. for what you do. That's not... Yeah. That's not... And, and I think that when we know those parts of us, I think it allows us to really feel like we're living our true life. And that's what mm. you ultimately want from the values. You come out and you go, wow, I'm doing a whole lot of things that really matter to me. There's a few things I can do. But most people or everyone goes away quite moved by it and going, wow, I'm, I like myself. Oh. And that's even with amazing people. I've worked with people with, you know, terrifying substance abuse issues. Mm. You can still see this amazing person in there that's still there. Mm. And um, sitting down with that whole person, every time I do it, I, th I think humans are incredible. And allowing themselves to not just look at what they think they're really amazing at mm. or not just beating themselves up and looking what they're struggling with. If you get a whole picture where you're seeing the stuff that is working, plus the deep truths that they know they need to work on, you get this beautiful, you get a beautiful picture of where you are, but also the, you know, the kind of fact that even during COVID and lockdown, still work with people that are extraordinary Mm. and that have great they know exactly where they need to go and that higher self is going to guide you not another person that's that's amazing and it's just um everything you're saying it's you know how you have this uh, uh like a current theme in mm. like times in your life that this is the thing that going with you so my theme is lately i think you know also in my spiritual practice and in life in general and all these processes i'm doing is that diversity within yourself yes. and allowing yourself to to shine or to or to be all the colors and all the figures within the entities that you are like i mean there's so much there's so much personalities within you like permaculture yes exactly there's so much like i can be and just i love to sometimes even also naming characters in myself, mm -hmm. like this angry, I have this angry boy and I have this mm -hmm. cheeky woman and I have this old grandmother and, I, you know, and, and sometimes, and I am very sensitive to people authenticity yes. and I love, especially, you know, and I, I love that people surprise me and show me their true colors and you know that they're not committed 
I, I joke about it a lot. They're like, oh, living your character. Yeah. Because so many people live their character. So yeah. let's say yes. if you're a your business, boss, yeah, the, the boss, bad, the you're a businessman and you're important and you look and you go around and you, you know, you have that. Or is the spiritual one and you're living, you're hippie and you're only eating organic and you're only speaking kind. But it's not true. And it, like, I mean, we cannot be only one thing. doesn't matter what we are. We have our persona as well. We have our personality And I believe we all have also our, you know, the Dharma side or the mission that we're here to bring about in this life. Mm. Every one of us, you know, with their own mission. But at the same time, we carry a personality, which I love that, that Ram Das says that you have to learn to, to embrace and to honor your personality because it have a gift that is hidden in there for you. And that's the, that's the humanness. The humanness, like embracing the humanness, embracing that, you know, we're not perfect, that imperfect, mm. imperfect perfectness or, you know, whatever. And it's, I think that it's, that's what comes out to me from what you're saying is that you're also encouraging people to embrace themselves. But the deep, the other deeper meaning, one of the, one of the other reasons that brought me to creating this process was um, from my own failings, mm. which is that, and now um, I feel like knowing this is, is very liberating because mm. people forget that people have got different values. Mm. And you look at the vaccine, anti-vaxxing thing, and they're like, I can't believe this person's doing this. It's like they have different values from you. Some people think it's really valuable to spend a, you know, a huge amount of money on a car. Mm. Another person would say, that's crazy. I, would, I want to spend it on... Um, building a shed or whatever it is so but understanding and respecting the diversity of, mm. val- of thought and values and not banging your head against the wall because someone has different values but mm. this happened in a very close friendship of mine with an amazing person and we ended up kind of locking heads because it ultimately because we had different values mm. and and that was one of the things where when I learned my lesson Instead of just thinking, oh, why are they doing this and why are they doing that? It's like they're doing that because they've got different values. Mm. You know, some people think renovating houses is really important or other, everyone's got different values. Some people think meditating all day is important. Other people think I just need to make $50 million. People are so different. And the thing about the values is it allows you to break it down and get a much deeper understanding of the things that are driving you. And mm. I think when you start to expect people to have the same values as you, and this is even in your partner, mm. that's crazy. I mean, as, listen to Esther Perel on that and the paradoxes, that like you and your husband mm. have very different values in, in some <laughs> areas, but you're also complementary, but embracing that difference. Yes. And not judging someone if someone wants to be famous or someone is really on a pleasure trip or someone else is, you know, really into being, you know, setting boundaries with every single person. We're all on a different path. And I think creating three or four hours to just focus on your own values. Um, Say I've I've found people of, you know, they'll call me a day later or two days later and they say, I cried, I was so happy. Or, you know, Mm. it shifts things for people. And one of the the biggest things that also comes out, which I just wanted to touch on was, um, and a lot of people will say this is woo-woo, but everyone's got an inner child in them. Oh, and that person is wanting, you know, things from when it was growing up. And, and especially as we get older, um, that, that inner child is wanting attention. So more and actually, more, actually. Yeah. 
or, or, or it's driving a lot of things we're doing unconsciously yeah yeah so that something's actually you know your inner child wants these things yeah i want this i want the car i want this i want that yeah and it's actually i want acknowledgement i want to be seen yes what you were talking about your client beforehand that you said that was you know something that drive him from childhood and mm. i would frame it from as rejection because I can resent, I can like resonate yeah, with that a lot. Terrified of it. Terrified of it, and and I um, also I can really resonate to that. Could I? Because I, in the end of the day, I many things that I, came up to me, different scenarios, whether it's in my personal relationship, business, the fear of rejection. It and it shows up in so many fields of your life, like can hold you back from actually taking decisions oh, it's or unbelievable. it's fear or freedom yes but the thing about that that's interesting is that unless you're able to acknowledge that inner that, child that inner child and that your your inner work you will always be saying it's because of all the people at work or you'll blame it on exterior things yeah and say oh it's got nothing to do with me it's all exterior and these things are happening and it's all their fault or mm. like you know the ceo will be saying my staff aren't doing this and da 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 um, and um, I'm, and then they end up, or the other example I'm thinking of, someone, they won't have really important discussions with people in their teams mm. because they don't want that negative feedback. Mm, yeah. But the cool thing is about sitting in the process. Um, someone I worked with recently, she had time to think about whether or not she had to take on people's reactions if she decided to do things differently. And she had enough time and space to sit there and say, oh, if they get really annoyed about this, I don't have to take that on. Mm. I, this is really important to me that I change doing this. And, oh, wow, I don't have to if, if um, they get annoyed with me. And then the problem just, it literally disappears. Mm. And they're like, ah, sorted. Mm. But if you haven't had the time to, and it's almost to talk to yourself and work it through. And a practice yeah. even. Because you can actually, this is something that my one of my friends did that I loved it, that she she's also looking for a relationship, but you also have a business. And she said, like, she's going on a journey to face the fear of rejection. And she was just mm. going around shops and offering her business. But to her, it was much greater than just like the fact that a store or a, you know, would say, oh, no, we don't like your your brand or whatever. It was more about actually leading to a relationship or finding mm. that her partner that was to take on in practice that whatever they say it's not personal yeah. and, and it doesn't and it doesn't define you that's and, the healing and, and yeah and another thing that i can be very honest and just say to myself that because i had that fear of rejection since i was a little girl and we cannot mm. go on and talk about why and whatever it doesn't matter at the moment but the fact that i acknowledge it and then I had the the years of starting to develop my my yoga business, and I got a lot of, uh, yeah, I got successful, and you know, boosting my ego and stuff. And there was the point that you know I looked, and you can look in social media and become a bit of a narcissist because oh, I'm doing better than someone else. But that's again the opposite trap of that is that mm. of that rejection or looking in it's the narcissist's there. eyes, and it's still not you know giving it's myself resolved. it's not resolved it's the opposite and like going into that toxic uh, way of creating worthiness for myself but it's again a sense of unworthiness because my my true worthiness would never be from me feeling superior or inferior mm. to another 
And but it's you're just, prepared to admit that. And that's, yeah. But the thing is that that's where the freedom is. And so that's where... But the other thing with the values when we're doing it is often there might be, say, a, a value for me. Like if I was doing my values, I probably wouldn't pick spirituality, even though I practice a lot. Because I'd say I've, I'm not struggling with that. That's fine. Mm. But I might have another area of um, that I need to work on around, um, you know, work-life balance or boundaries and things like that. So often the values that we pick to prioritise are things that we're not, we haven't got right. Mm. Like a lot of a lot of women that I work with are struggling with self-respect. Uh. They feel like people take advantage of them. It's often got to do with conditioning. You know, mm. other people are getting more work than they are, particularly um, there's a lot of gender stuff going on. And if they're in family units, they're not feeling like they're acknowledged and appreciated in their families and things like that. Mm. So that self-respect is a really, really important one to look at. Mm. What, what does that look like for you? And it's going to be different for every person. Or for you, that getting over that fear of rejection, it's so fantastic to identify the work needs to be done on my, you know, how I react when I'm on Instagram mm. or how I react when I'm organizing a retreat. And even I'm organizing a retreat and I have to obviously promote and try mm. to sell it to people and having to deal with the fact that maybe they don't want to come, maybe they want to choose someone mm. else to teach them. And that's fine. That's and that's, But that can make you feel very vulnerable. Yeah, you can have, absolutely. Uh, your mindset around that, that's what you work on because otherwise um, that child that's afraid of rejection is going to take over and yeah you know then it's then it's just such a vicious cycle mm. that you'll and i would argue it's the same thing um notice with clients that have a lot of money it, there's never it's never enough money it doesn't matter what how much they make in a deal or how much they're getting paid as soon as they've got that money it disappears and they want more mm. so and that's because that's the it's like um it's that currency enough. that is it's you know, it, from one we can say it's like energetic currency, but it's also invisible or it's not real or it's, uh, you know, because it's, it's, it's again comes, I think, in a place of um, owning power or mm. feeling that this, this money or this status will give me power and validation at and the if, end of the day. If you have a fear of rejection and you're, for example, you know, a singer, I've worked with really interesting musicians um, and you have a hit and then you have another hit in a way that's feeding the fear of rejection even more because mm. because you are you know temporarily safe from it yeah but what if you put another album out and no one listens yeah. to it so it's an even bigger crash so unless you work on that issue mm. it's only going to get worse yeah like you said that actually what you know brought you to this was your failing in yes. a way different times of and how important it is like to actually you know they say that you learn more from the fa from failure than success in a way and i think um that goes back to my coach shanna kennedy uh, her um all of her work around personal accountability mm -hmm. and i'm i think in my old age you don't want to be that sort of person that everything's scheduled and you've got 9 million journals and you're going to 10 million courses. I mean, I think that's, well, that spiritual materialism and it's bullshit. But um, what Shanna teaches in an incredibly succinct way is just personal accountability. Mm. And if you come back to something like, well, if you identify that you have a fear of rejection that goes back to childhood, mm. then it's in your best interest to work on it. 
because otherwise it's going to affect it's going to flare itself up like spot fires everywhere yeah and i think that self-knowledge and self-awareness and you know we can talk about jung we can talk about all sorts of amazing people and gabo mate and all these amazing people that are i'm inspired by and also particularly a psychologist called harriet lerner who i think is who wrote the dance of anger who's just incredible Mm. um but that self-knowledge and self-awareness and and having a good relationship and being kind to yourself and you know accepting your failures and stuff that relationship with yourself is so critical Mm. and i think that's i think that's what I hope the values process does is allows people to have this very, very deep encounter with, with who they are mm. and hopefully come out of it um, with a sense of direction. And as I say, I've found that even with people that are in really um, pretty low places, um, I think there's still so much sort of, there's, there's so much, so many, there's so much extraordinariness in people. And mm. I'm, that's the best part about my job. I get to, I get to see that all the time. Mm. And sometimes I want to say to them, I wish you could see what I can see. Oh, that's beautiful. And, and that's, um, and that's, you know, and that, uh, the quality of our life. I think my mum realized that about three days before she died, the quality of our life is the quality of our human connections. And I think when we have good self-knowledge, I think it allows us, to have better relationships. Absolutely. Amen. Um, I would like to ask you a little bit because I, you know, I'm, um, obviously I'm not, I'm not from here in Australia, but I'm, I am very fascinated just to, if you want to share just a little bit of your work with the indigenous community. Ah. Yes. That's interesting because um, I'm a very um, privileged white person from... Um, very working class white stock from Australia. I think part we think some of the family came out to Tas from um, the UK to Tasmania, which has probably got the worst record of treatment of First Australians imaginable. Mm. Um, I started doing pro bono human rights work about ten years ago, and I worked a lot in Cambodia, and I worked with a lot of um, survivors of unbelievable trauma, wow. helping them to tell their stories. But then I, my twin sister introduced me to the National Justice Project, which is a, um, a very radical law firm that has taken on some of the most difficult cases, taken on the federal government. They've got children off Manus Island. They got the Medivac through. So I started doing um, strategic communications work with them with, and with the founder, George Newhouse, and his amazing team and his chair, Steve Caston. Um, I stick to what I'm good at, which is, you know, workshops, strategic communications and coaching and training and things like that. But my actual education about First Australians and cultural competency is still very much ongoing. Mm. Um, I think the first place for a lot of people to start is there's an amazing documentary that's free on SBS called The First Australians. It's about eight hours long. But if you want to have a very sobering look at the history of the country... Mm. So, um, but the important thing for me as a white person, uh, the National Justice Project is working, uh, it's training a lot of incredible indigenous lawyers and an indigenous team on all sorts of areas in healthcare, education, etc. So I've got to play very much a support role as they're building capacity so that it can become, you know, an all First Nations organisation. But I've recently done things like um, 
a white supremacy course, which is a 30-day um, process, which is very confronting. Mm. But I'm, I'm lucky enough to work with amazing academics um, that are doing um, incredible work on trying to understand why things got, just why they're so bad, even mm. in comparison to places like New Zealand, mm. where they're, um, you know, their indigenous communities had a, a power and place yeah. for a hunt, you know, more than 100 years. So, um, but all I do is I support amazing people that are doing the work and they're working in the courts, mm. they're working um, with on the most horrific cases of discrimination of, you know, of children, First Nations children's going to hospital and being sent home with a lollipop when they've had a horrific illness and, you know, for four oh. days in a row oh. and the child dying and then they're trying to get compensation. So mm. I just support them My and my twin sister does um, fun, fundraising and time and workshops, but... Um, I would say um, I just want to support what they're doing, but I'm, mm. I'm certainly not. I'm just a, a privileged white person trying to help out. <laughs> but it's an amazing organisation if you, if you want yeah. to check out the National yeah. Justice I think, Project. I think it's a really good way to start and to mm. educate yourself on that. So and I think definitely. That's, that's, you just hit the nail on the head. You have to start somewhere. Yeah, start somewhere, exactly. Because sometimes we're, we're overwhelmed and lost with... You know, so many things we we know are, are yeah, going and you can on get over one. But it's funny. I was coaching this group in a PR firm, and the the boss had said to me, "Oh, they're all really upset. They're all in lockdown, and then we've had this terrible news in Afghanistan." Yes, and they're all feeling really depressed, and their morale's really low. And I was like, "Far out! How do we play this one?" And then I thought, "I know. Just do something good for someone, mm. and you'll feel better." Again, bringing it home to yeah. your community like, and to your neighbor and to your mate at work. Yeah, or, do, yeah. Do, if you're feeling bad about it, do something about it. It's like I think guilt is ridiculous. Like if you're feeling guilty, do something about it. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you're just wallowing. Yeah. So if you can, or if you can donate, there's a couple of amazing um, Afghani charities here that are um, have got a whole lot of um, young students and university students that have fled. And they're housing them and supporting them to continue their education. There's, so there are things you can do mm. rather than just have what they call white guilt, you know? Yeah. And, so I, and even that is somewhere to uh, start with. It, it means that you're having, you have an awareness to... But this, the, the white that, supremacy course is incredible, a 30-day one, because it does take you through a lot of exercises to, to push you past that. But that reminds me of something... Um, my friend Patricia Edwards always says, you've got to start where you are. Mm. And that relates to that. But it also comes back to the values. You know, you are where you are. Yeah. That's where you start. Exactly. And not thinking, well, I want to be this sort of amazing human right. I mean, I have worked with lots of amazing human rights people, but they're human as well. They've all got flaws and everyone looks at them as incredible, like gods and stuff. And it's ridiculous. And it comes back to just doing your work yes. and, you know, starting where you are and embracing your humanity and yes. your, your personality and how can you still channel that through, mm -hmm. um, yeah, Absolutely. yeah, like, um, just, it just reminds me, you know, when I was, uh, much younger and I had a lot of depression issues and anxiety, one of the, one of the quotes by Mahatma Gandhi that I, you know, was, was so... Uh, moving to me was 
lose yourself in the service of others mm. and it was something that it's just sometimes the most basic thing is perspective and when you get perspective sometimes you can get out of yourself and of that I'm I'm in pain I'm in suffering my problem but and suddenly you can get perspective on your problems on where you are at the moment and what can you actually do mm. you can can just come become a bigger than your than your current situation and that's very challenging for some people to serve others I mean there's been so many kind of spiritual examples of people washing feet I think Maha Gandhi was cleaning toilets and things like that that just yeah it's some it's a place that people don't want to go just thinking about others accept themselves and I think that if there's the unhappiest people that I've worked with and that I know are people that are self-absorbed and I often say because I think my meditation practice is so important and I do believe that idea get out of your head or you're dead and I would say and we joke about this I'd say just listen to Justin Bieber for an hour <laughs> instead of think about you <laughs> yeah, instead of just me 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 oh me 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 I mean it's, it's just it. it's and I think one of Shannon's favorite books is The Untethered Soul mm, um yeah I mean it's quite it's controversial beautiful. some people think that he's too selfish but um I also that's why I also love I've got love documentaries but I do really love the documentary about Tony Robbins uh, so I thought I, mean, I wasn't going to like I'm not your guru yes. yeah it's beautiful I... and just saying just helping people to get and and Byron Katie talks about this as well we get so attached to these stories about ourselves yeah and the and narratives we keep, and we drive us I've got to saying this yes I keep saying this I'm not, when I um I had spinal surgery a couple of years ago and I've avoided doing any strength training and I was I finally started going and I could hear myself saying all the time I can't do this I've had spinal surgery I can't do this and it was just like this song that I kept singing and I just and it's something very real also at the same time but it's sometimes you can let those things and you can let the thing yeah absolutely I can see that on myself how I was carrying my stories and almost you know you you can catch yourself on those automatic reaction even when your first interaction with new people people that you just met in your life and you're like yeah I'm this and that now it's comfortable for me to give that story like oh, I'm a yoga teacher I do worldwide retreat make me feel mm-hmm. good about myself but I always had that story as well of, oh my mom is on a wheelchair then and I had exactly. these things that I you know I kept carrying with me and they served me so to a certain point and mm-hmm. once you realize that that yeah they might maybe your narrative or your story served you to a certain point right mm-hmm. okay what are you gonna what are you going to do now? Like yeah. they say, or what are you going to do? to update the story. Yeah, maybe refresh the story. To allow... Um, I, and a, a fantastic um, friend of mine up here told me this amazing story. He had a terrible relationship with his brother. And his brother used to pin him down and spit on him. <laughs> and I thought this this embodies like sibling rivalry if you think yeah. about it it's yeah. so Lloyd's brother used to spit on him when they surfed together to his wave and spit on you <laughs> and so but him said the thing is I love that you laughed then I I'm sorry that, that I, I was gonna say I'm <laughs> that's that's such a good we do have laugh with black humor but I love that because um it was awful at the time but his brother when he was older ended up going to therapy and apologizing to him and I was like Aww. wow there's so I wish there's so many more siblings that need to apologize yeah. but he was able to laugh about it and it wasn't 
I'm never going to forgive my brother for doing that to me. He's an asshole. And I know so many people that would never forgive that. Yeah. And you could see him laughing about it, telling this hilarious story and the beauty of his brother apologizing and he's cleared it as well. So the story's gone. Mm. But so um, much... it was so better to say you have, you do have, and there's that fantastic book um, called The Choice um, by this, I'll get the name of it, this clinical psychologist who was um, in Auschwitz. Oh, and she was a dancer, and uh, it's a, it's the coolest book. One of the stories in it, she jokes and says, "I had the best boobs in Auschwitz," because <laughs> she said at night they had a competition. You know, wow. they've got nothing to do. They had nothing to do, and they had a boob competition. Aww. And it's, but it's, I mean, she's this. Her her spirit is just mind blowing. Mm. But um, she was able to say we're in this terrible position, mm. but. We, we had a choice yeah. and, and she's able to now, I mean, it's in the most horrific circumstances, but yeah. um, she's able to say that and it, it's a mark of her resilience as a human. Exactly. And and also that idea of a connection and a group of women. Yeah. Still. Something that's so pure about it. And it's like, and again, I can see like little girls, like just in a, in a slimmer party, you know, pajamas party or anything. And it's just something so pure about that and to think yeah. about. Her name is Edith Egger. Ah. And, um, yeah, she was a Holocaust survivor and she ended up becoming a clinical psychologist. The other story ah. that I love from that is that she had two patients that had both lost one leg and she was seeing them. And one was, oh, my God, I'm so lucky I'm here. Oh. Um, I'm alive, I get to be with my family and oh my god, I'm so grateful and the other person, same thing, was like my life's shit, it's fucked, everything's fucked so uh, it's such a powerful book because it does talk about choices and obviously she's able to talk about this from a very very extreme, it's not some kind of lady view. in a big house in Byron Bay that's choosing between oat milk and soy milk <laughs> which is for a lot of people they'd be agonising over that Yeah, and so it's a um Anyway, I, I, a lot of those people have, have inspired me to do what I'm doing, mm. very much so. Sounds like a lot of your work and your personality is about getting out of yourself. So, you know, again, coming back to going into other people's mind, I think it's, there is something so um, potent about that. I mean, if we all sometimes get into that mindset of, going out or coming out of our own mind and trying there's a sense of compassion in that because you actually mm. can see sometimes why or how those other people operate from and what are their motives and sometimes then you can you can see more of their vulnerability and their and their their pain and what makes them act the way they do and i think it's very it's it's so potent that if we all maybe get out a little bit of our head and and do have that time to to sit with ourselves and to look within ourselves to ask ourselves what are our values and are we living them or what can we do to start um facilitating more space or more time to to pursue or to live our values yeah i i put a lot of this stuff on my instagram but i think um going back to that thing about listening to people um, I've just got a quote here from Mr. Fabulous Thich Nhat Hanh, who, mm. the, yeah, the poet and teacher. He's at Plum Village. He's, I think he's, he's getting very, very old. Oh. But this relates to the actual process of any kind of coaching or talking. 
As he says, one hour of compassionate, deep listening can bring about transformation and healing. And this deep listening process that I do is three hours or four hours. So there is a lot of space. And he talks about in some of his teaching, which um, I recommend to everyone to try, um, just hold space for someone and just listen to them. Mm. And, and I'd say if you're a you know, really pro-vaxxer, sit with an anti-vaxxer for an hour and just listen to them. Mm. And just hold, it's that thing of holding space for people and see what happens instead of just trying to, to just get your um, point across. Yeah, or yeah, kind of repeating what you already know. That's a big thing because if we... If we oh, really you're repeating look, your story. Yeah, repeating your story. If we look really on ourselves, we we'll, might find out that we're not necessarily listening. Because well, otherwise there's no space. hearing very yes. in the back. It's like somewhere in the back, but we're somewhere within us. We're already preparing to say and to come back with our feedback or something that we're already used to saying. And, and that if you don't have that open up that space, there's no space for transformation or mm. for new ideas or it just isn't, it isn't there because you're, you're basically what you're doing is, and this is why they say, Depression is about the past and anxiety is about the future. So if you're just talking, your story is my past, my past, my past. It's so heavy. It's going to mm. be good. It's, you're dragging you, you down. Present. Yeah. And yeah, you, you just carry worry about on. future. You, you're just, oh my God, this could happen, that could happen. I'm going to get rejected. Da, da, da. Then mm. that's getting a bit. That's beautiful. Um, I want to thank you so much. And it was really enlightening. Thank um, you, teacher. Thank you, teacher. <laughs> Learned so much from you, and you're such an important and inspiring person to me. Um, and really, thank you for sharing all your wisdom and your work with us today. And yeah, if you have a uh, last thing to want to share with the listeners before we finish and wrap it up, good luck with your podcast. Thank and, you. Um, if anyone out there gets a chance to be taught by Eden, <laughs> I would um, strongly recommend it. Um, oh. I'm an extraordinary teacher and I'm very excited to see um, now that lockdown is over where, <laughs> where and when she's going to appear. <laughs> thank, thank, you, thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your time.